At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Through our series, Divided, Seeking Unity in a Fractured World, we're coming face-to-face with the division that seems to define the culture of our nation, our communities, and even our churches. Join us as we turn to 1 Corinthians to discover the unifying power of a people who follow Christ. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 again, uh, the second of the Apostle Paul's letters, at least as they're listed within the New Testament, and we're going to look at just chapter 1 over the next, uh, over the next few weeks uh, before we start our fall sermon series. Uh, but as you can tell from the sermon series title, uh, Divided, um, it's this, this issue that we're going we're gonna to focus on in the life of our church. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, just the first three verses, brothers and sisters, Hear the words of our God. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, those called to be saints together, with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We are more divided than ever. We are more divided than ever. This is a sentiment that I've heard several times over the last few years, and I've heard it from a range of different people, relatives, friends, media figures, younger people, older people, progressive people, conservative people, spiritual leaders, political leaders. I've heard all express at one point or another over the last several years their shared opinion that we are more divided than ever. So it seems that the only thing we are united about is that we are not united. Divisions between ethnicities, divisions between genders, divisions between political parties, divisions over environmental issues, economic issues, immigration issues, and we could go on. These divisions seem to be deeper and more bitter than ever. And for those of us who embrace the Bible as God's word, all of this comes as little surprise to us, right? Because we understand that even though God created our world good, he created our world as a place of peace and harmony. We also understand that our world is not now as God originally meant it to be. There is this alien power that has invaded God's good creation, and it has infected each one of our hearts. The Bible refers to this power as sin. And ever since sin came into the world, it has caused division. It has divided us from God, and it has divided us from one another. We are more divided than ever because sin is as present as ever. And it's one thing for the church... I'm sorry, it's one thing for the world to be divided over politics. It's one thing for the world to be divided over cultural issues. It's one thing for the world to be divided over economics or race or whatever topic of the day. 
But it is a tragedy on a whole other level for the church to be divided over such things. In one sense, it's normal for the world to be divided, but it is terrible for the church to be divided against herself. And that's why this week we're starting this new series, again, on Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church, and we've titled this series Divided, Seeking Unity in a Fractured World. Our world is divided, and so the world can't offer us answers on finding the unity that we need. Instead, we need God to speak into our world. We need God to speak into our church. We need God to speak into each one of our lives so that we can experience the reconciliation and the reunification that we were intended for. So over the next five weeks, we're going to walk through this chapter of 1 Corinthians, and we're going to learn about unity in Christ, about togetherness in Christ. So if you're familiar with the book of Acts, then you know that, especially in the second half of the book of Acts, one of the main characters is the Apostle Paul. At first, Paul was an enemy of the gospel, but God radically turns his life around, and Paul becomes a powerful messenger of the gospel. And Paul would make these long missionary journeys across the Roman Empire, sharing the gospel, raising up leaders, planting churches. And on his second missionary journey, Paul arrives in the city of Corinth. So I've got a map up there for you. You see Jerusalem here in the far southeast corner. Uh, Paul traveled up the coast of the Mediterranean towards the west and eventually made it to Corinth. You see they're marked by the orange star. Um, Corinth is still there today. You can visit the city today. It's located in the south-central part of Greece, and it was a thriving city, prosperous, because it attracted a large amount of people and a large amount of all kinds of people, and largely because of the economic opportunity that Corinth provided. Corinth is located on a trade route that connected Italy, where the capital of the empire was, with the rest of Asia. And so all of this traffic coming through Corinth, either heading west to Rome or east to Asia, brought a lot of people and a lot of different kinds of people into the city. And perhaps the most obvious difference amongst the people was their social status, often related to wealth and education. So there were the cultural elites who were educated, who were wealthy, who were connected to the upper crust of Corinthian society. And then there was a large group of lower class, less wealthy, less educated. Uh, For example, some estimates are that up to a third of the city's population were slaves. And many of these people were forced to sell themselves into slavery because of their impoverished economic condition. But into this melting pot, into this melting pot of different people from different backgrounds with different lifestyles on different parts of the social totem pole, all these different people, right into the middle of them, God sends the Apostle Paul. And Paul preaches the good news that we can be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ and we can be reconciled to one another through Jesus Christ. Jesus' death and resurrection unites us with God and it unites us 
with one another, whether we are rich or poor, whether we are educated or not so educated, whether we are white collar or blue collar, whether we are cultural elites or completely ordinary, we are called all together in Christ. You may be from the trailer park or you may be from the mansion on the hill. You may have multiple degrees from prestigious universities, or you may have barely squeaked by fifth grade. You may read uppity publications like The New Yorker or The Atlantic, or you may read memes on Facebook, and that's about it. None of these cultural markers, none of these cultural status points matter When it comes to our relationship with God or our membership in the church, we are called all together in Christ. And it's our togetherness in Jesus that we're going to explore today and over the next several weeks. And the key question that we're asking today is, what does it mean to be called together in Christ? It sounds nice, doesn't it? For a diverse group of people to be unified and all together like this, but what does it mean? What does it look like if we flesh this out more? Well, in these first few verses, what we see is what is distinct, what is characteristic about our togetherness in Christ. And first, we see that we are called to holiness. We are called to holiness. So Paul begins his letter to the Corinthian Christians in verses 1 and 2, and he addresses them. He says, Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, I'm writing to you, the church of God that is in Corinth, I'm writing to you, those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, you who are called to be saints. So after identifying himself as the author and after identifying his writing partner, Sosthenes, Paul then spends the majority of these two verses identifying the recipients of his letter. He says that he's writing to the church of God. And so already there's this communal emphasis. So notice that Paul doesn't say, I'm writing to you, an individual Christian who is sitting down to read some scripture all by yourself for private devotions. No, he says, I'm writing to you. I'm writing to y'all. I'm writing to you, the church of God, the people of God, the assembly of God, the collective community of Christ followers. That's who the apostle is speaking to. But notice this also. This is really important. He doesn't only say that they are God's people. He doesn't only say that they are God's church. He says that they are God's people, God's church, In Corinth. And this is where so much of the tension and the conflict and the division comes from. Because they are God's people still living on earth. They are citizens of heaven and they are citizens of Corinth. And that's the crux of the issue for these Corinthians. Is it their identity in Christ that will influence them the most? Or is it their identity as Corinthians that will influence them the most. Because the priorities of Corinth are wealth, cultural prestige, educational achievements, workplace accomplishments. That's how you set yourself apart in Corinth. And it's those things 
that cause divisions in the church because not everybody is wealthy as everybody else. Not everybody is educated or accomplished as everybody else. And so there becomes divisions between these different groups. They are the church of God, united by God, saved by God, but they are still living in Corinth and still being influenced by Corinthian values. So the key is what he says next. He says, I'm writing to the church of God in Corinth to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. Those who are called to be saints. And this word sanctify, it means to make holy or more simply even to set apart. And the word saint is directly related. Saint means those who are sanctified, those who are holy ones. Paul says to these Christians, that's who you are. You are in Corinth, but you are sanctified. You are made holy. You are a saint in Christ. You're living in the world, and at the same time, you are distinct from the world. And you are set apart for Christ, made holy for Christ. So when Meg and I were engaged to be married, we created a wedding registry at a couple of home goods type stores. And the registry, of course, made sure that everyone who wanted to buy us a wedding gift got us something that we wanted them to buy us. I'm not sure that's how gifts are supposed to work, but that's how it's set up. Well, when we set up this registry, my mom insisted that we pick out fine china and silverware because every family needs formal dining utensils. You know, you pick out your normal dishes You pick out your normal forks and spoons, but you also got to get the extra special stuff, the sacred utensils, the ones you only get out on very special occasions. These are hallowed utensils. They are set apart for holidays, which literally means holy days. So these aren't ordinary common eating tools that get used every day for routine meals. There's something distinct about them. I remember growing up, my mom's silverware was separated from our other utensils in a special wooden chest. It's like the Ark of the Covenant or something. (laughs) And inside this chest, the forks and the spoons and the knives were each wrapped in these soft felt cloths. It's very special. Now, by the time Meg and I got married, this tradition of having special eating utensils had fallen way out of favor, so we eventually returned all of our china to Macy's and got this really nice leather chair that we still use to this day. But as unpopular as this tradition is now, it actually goes back to the construction of the tabernacle under Moses. It's actually biblical, as silly as it seems. Um, It goes back to the construction of the tabernacle under Moses where the utensils in the tabernacle were said to be consecrated, same word, sanctified for special use in the temple. Well, Paul takes this Old Testament idea of buildings or eating utensils being sanctified and he applies it to us who are in Christ. He says that we are sanctified, we are made holy, we are called to be saints. We are called to be holy ones In Christ, we are a distinct people. We are a set-apart people. We are separate from the world. We are separate from the world when it comes to our values, our priorities, our behaviors, our attitudes. 
So did the Corinthian Christians still live in Corinth? Yeah. They didn't move to the boonies and start up a commune. They still lived in Corinth, and we still live in Michigan. We still live in America. But though we live in the world, we are distinct from the world. And we are set apart for Christ. And our distinctness means that we don't operate by the values and priorities of the culture we live in. Because if we adopt our world's view of money, then the rich among us will start to look down on the poor, and the poor among us will start to look down on the rich. If we adopt our world's view of politics, then the people with these political leanings will start to look down on people with those political leanings, and vice versa. If we adopt our world's view of significance through accomplishment, well, then the well-educated and the vocationally accomplished people will start to look down on the people who haven't done as much as they have. Brothers and sisters, we are sanctified in Christ. And it is not American values, it is not conservative values, or any sort of worldly principles by which we live and operate. If so, we are going to fit right into the world. We're going to fit right in to Corinth. But we are meant to be distinct from the world. We are meant to stand out. And it's by being first and foremost devoted to Christ, sanctified, set apart to Christ, that's going to keep us all together. We are called together in Christ. We're called together to holiness. Secondly, Paul says that we are called to unity. So if the first half of verse 2 emphasizes that we are distinct from the world, set apart from the world, then the second half of verse 2 emphasizes that we are unified amongst ourselves. Set apart from the world and united amongst ourselves. So look again at verse 2, starting in the middle of the verse. Paul says he's writing to the church of God. He's writing to those who are called to be holy, called together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. So very often in Paul's letters, he specifically addresses a certain group of people. You remember in the book of Ephesians, he specifically addresses wives, and then he later addresses husbands, and then later children. In other ones of his letters, he will speak specifically to the elders or specifically to the deacons. But here at the start of 1 Corinthians and all the way throughout, he only addresses the whole group. They are the one church of God in Corinth. It's just as if he's especially emphasizing that they are one unified group. And here in the second half of verse 2, he not only says that they are unified amongst themselves, but they also have a unity with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. So for these Corinthian Christians, they are not only to be unified with other Corinthian Christians, they are to be unified with all other Christians. So Paul seems to indicate here that it could have been possible for them to be unified amongst themselves and yet still fallen short of God's will because they weren't unified with other Christians in other places. But Paul says here that he is both their Lord and ours, whether they are in Rome or Antioch or Ephesus or Jerusalem. If you are together under the Lordship of Christ, then you are together. 
Last summer, my family and I were traveling on vacation. At one point, we pulled off of the interstate to refuel on caffeine and gasoline, and I was walking in the park lot of a Starbucks back to my car when I heard someone yell in my direction randomly, Go green! I looked around, and I saw this complete stranger who was clearly anticipating a response from me, and it was then that I remembered I was wearing a Michigan State t-shirt. And so I appropriately shouted back to this rando, Go white! Now, now think about this. This guy is a total stranger to me. Never seen this guy in my life. Probably never going to see him again. Still don't know his name. As far as I know, we could be opposite in every way possible. Politically, culturally, spiritually, ethnically, economically. We could be opposite in every conceivable category, but we are called together in Sparty. Tom Izzo is both his lord and mine. And that is something beautiful and powerful about sports, isn't it? Even if it's only for the few hours that the game is taking place, it can unite all sorts of people behind our team. Our shared support of whoever our team is transcends politics. It transcends our background, our beliefs. We are called to unity in Sparty. Now, church, how much more true should this be of us? Our commitment to Christ transcends everything else about us. We may have many differences with one another. We may have many differences with other churches. But the thing we share with other Christ followers is the most important thing that we could share with them, that we are fellow Christ followers. Jesus is both their Lord and ours. We are all on Team Jesus. In one sense, think of this. In one sense, we have more in common and we are closer to other Christians on the other side of the world, say believers in China or India. We have more in common and are closer with them than we are with our own family members who don't know Christ. We have more in common and are closer with other believers in China or India because of our shared commitment to Christ. Even though they are very far away, even though they look differently than we do, even though they have different cultures than we do, we are closer with them than we are with our own unbelieving family members who don't know Christ. Because with those other believers, we have the same Lord. We call on the same Jesus. We have a shared spiritual unity that transcends every other earthly bond. Being called together in Christ means being called to unity with other believers in Christ. Those who are close to us, both in Lapeer and everywhere else. Remember, the Apostle Paul is fleshing out what our togetherness in Christ looked like. It means that we are called to holiness, we are called to unity, and finally, it means that we are called to gracious peacemaking. Called to gracious peacemaking. So look finally at verse 3, this last short verse in our passage for today. Paul says, grace to you and peace 
from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So these final words in Paul's salutation, they are actually a spoken blessing to the Corinthian audience. He wishes for them to experience God's grace and peace, which comes from the fatherly heart of God and flows to us through Jesus, our mediator. New Testament scholar Gordon Fee comments on this verse by saying this, quote, In a sense, just this short verse sums up the whole of Paul's theological outlook. The sum total of God's activity toward human creatures is found in the one word, grace. God has given himself to us, gifted himself to us, mercifully, bountifully in Christ. Christ. Nothing is deserved, nothing can be achieved. And the sum total of those gracious benefits as they are experienced by the recipients of God's grace is found in the other word, Peace, meaning well-being, wholeness, welfare, shalom. The one word, peace, flows from the other, grace. And they both together flow from God our Father and were made effective in human history through our Lord Jesus Christ. So you can see what Fee means by this one verse capturing near the totality of the apostles' theology. God deals with us graciously in Christ, reconciling himself to us as our Father in a relationship of peace. So even though this verse is in Paul's salutation to the Corinthians, this isn't just a throwaway line. It is a statement of great theological and spiritual significance. The Apostle Paul wants the Corinthians to receive more of God's grace And he wants them to experience more of God's peace as they read his letter and as they grow as a community. And the idea here, as it relates to us being called together in Christ, the idea is this. To the degree that we are recipients of grace is the degree to which we will be able to be gracious people. And to the degree we are at peace with God, is the same degree to which we can live at peace with others. And as Gordon Fee said, God has given to us mercifully. God has given to us bountifully in Christ. And we are at peace with him such that we call him father, he calls us children. So if we have that much grace from God, and if we have that kind of peace with God, then we should be a force of grace and peace in the world. Think of it this way. Earlier this summer, during the last week of the school year, our kids' elementary school had their annual field day. This is the one day of the year when, for the entire day, the school is at recess. And there's all sorts of outdoor games and fun for the students. Well, one of the games they played was a race between different classes. You've probably seen a game like this or another one like it before. But each class is lined up in a single file line and they had a bucket of water beside each class with a sponge in it. And then there was an empty bucket about 10 yards in front of them and each student had to take their turn, it was a relay race, take their turn plunging the sponge into the water bucket, holding the sponge over their head, run down to the empty bucket, squeeze what was left of the water in their sponge until they filled up the empty bucket. And it's a fun game because the kids 
are getting wet and they're sloshing water on themselves. But it's an interesting game and difficult because their sponge has so little water in it to transfer to the other bucket. The sponge just doesn't hold that much water. And furthermore, the sponge leaks as you run it down to the other bucket. So they are limited in what they are able to give because they are limited in what they are able to take. They're limited in what they're able to give because they're limited in what they're able to take. Well, this is a similar dynamic behind our ability to be gracious peacemakers in the world and in the church. Again, to the degree that we have received God's grace is the degree to which we can be gracious with others. To the degree that we are at peace with God is the degree to which we can live at peace with others. And unlike that puny, sponge-filled amount of water those kids had, church, we have an infinite supply of grace. We sang earlier about going down to the river. And oh, friends, from the foot of the cross, there flows an infinite river of grace. I don't care how nasty your sin is. I don't care how deep in despair you may be. I don't care how broken your life may be. God's grace that forever flows from the cross is inexhaustible. It's a river. His grace flows for us. And the more of this grace we take in, the more of this grace we can show to our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's easy to complain about It's easy to grieve over all of the division in our world. And we should lament before God all of the pain from broken relationships. But if it's true that we are more divided than ever, then church, we have more of an opportunity than ever. We as the church of God are called together under Christ and we can show the world the kind of togetherness that they could never even dream of. But when the church is fractured and split and divided, it brings reproach upon the name of Christ. But when we live out the grace we've received, when we embody the peace that we have, it's a witness. It's a witness to the power of the gospel to unite a people who are otherwise very different from one another. Let's once again, church, hear the call of Christ to come together. We are his holy, we are his set-apart people, united under one Lord, and we are recipients and givers of grace. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself today.